Open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 25, and we are going to continue looking into the life of David. And we noticed last week the, the graciousness of David as he was being chased all over the wilderness and the countryside of Judah and Israel as Saul is trying to kill him. And David had a couple of opportunities to be able to dispose of Saul to kill him. And David does not take those opportunities. And we noticed a lot of lessons concerning that graciousness. And this morning we're going to notice another person of graciousness. And this is a woman named Abigail. In 1 Samuel 25, we come across this married couple. We have a contrast of a couple. We have... Abigail being married to a man named Nabal. And Abigail is described as uh, intelligent and wise and beautiful. And Nabal is described uh, as evil and foolish and worthless. And so he's thinking, well, this is an interesting mix. In fact, Nabal's name means fool. You know, and I thought I've read that. You think his parents named him that? (laughs) I kind of have the tendency to think they didn't do that. I think this guy has made so many bad decisions and has been so worthless in life and has been so foolish that this has become the name that everybody calls him by. Now, perhaps the parents wanted to be cruel and call him fool. I don't know that anybody today in our society would ever sit there and go, you know what, there he is, fool, you know. Uh, I think... His life is full of foolishness. He has made awful decisions and has paid horrible consequences for that. And we're going to see that uh, as we go through this story. And so verse 3 tells us Abigail discerning, beautiful. He, however, Nabal is harsh, badly behaved. He's evil. Uh, And so uh, we have this interesting story of two characters uh, with this. Now, while David and his men are, are roaming the countryside, they're, they're not sitting alone having a pity party for themselves about how Saul uh, is trying to kill them. They're actually being rather useful. Uh, they are going around and they are protecting farmers and protecting the inhabitants of Judea from the raiders who would come in and try to steal and take things like sheep and take uh, various goods as they would try to come in and plunder. David, if you remember, he had 400 men in the cave of Adullam. It's now grown to 600. And so David and his 600 fighting men are going around the countryside and they are protecting people, protecting the farms, protecting the sheep, and they are being very helpful while yet hiding from Saul through all of this. And what we have then depicted for us is that Nabal is about to gather his sheep in for shearing. And from this, of course, he's going to make quite a bit of money. And and David hears about this. And David now sends ten servants to Nabal saying, basically, we would like to have any portion that you can afford to give us uh, because we've helped you. Uh, we have protected your, your land. We have protected your sheep. You haven't lost a one of them. And so here we are living out in the middle of nowhere with these 600 men. And we've helped you out. Uh, would you please uh, uh, give us uh, some of the proceeds from what you are receiving? That's a reasonable offer. 
uh, I think, a very reasonable offer, especially considering the conditions that David and his men are in. Uh, they're not all working jobs out here in the middle of nowhere. They're, they've been, been run off. They are the, the poor and the destitute and the, the downtrodden, if you remember, who have joined themselves, themselves with David. And so we have... David then making this request. David and his men, I kind of thought of them as the highway patrol of sorts. They are protecting the roads and protecting the countryside. Uh, and they are doing this of, of their own will. And so I think a, a gracious request is given there in verse 8 of chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give us whatever you have at hand to your servants and your son David. A gracious request by David and his men. And so in verse 9, when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. Now, I want you to notice Nabal's response here that, that he gives in verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men? Whom I do come from where I do not know where? And David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. You see the response. Now, that was not, you know, a, a, you know, a mild response. Is that who's David? Everybody in Israel knew who David was. David's the next king. It's well known who David is. This is not a statement of. I don't know who you're talking about, David. No, this is a statement of rudeness. Oh, who is David? Who is son of Jesse? The supposed king of Israel. I hear these days that these servants are leaving their masters at will like crazy. Talking about how Saul is chasing him all over the countryside and David is on the run. He's rubbing it in. He's making a mockery of David. Oh, who is Jesse's son? And boy, uh, pretty dumb to be uh, leaving your master like that. And so he's really just giving it, giving it to him. And then the, the, he goes on and says, yeah, well, why should I give, give uh, my food, uh, give, give my proceeds to some nobody that's running around the countryside and not give it to my shooters? So the young men... Come back there in verse 12 and uh, they go and tell David. And uh, David's response is, is a little over the top probably. <laughs> verse 13, David says, Every man strap on a sword. <laughs> We're going to battle. We're going to go take Nabal out. Uh, David's infuriated by this response. That's the kind of gratitude you give for me and my 600 men who have protected you, that you haven't lost any animals, you haven't been harassed by the slightest, David's just at his wit's end. And, you know, he's been going through some difficult times living out here in the grass and the caves. And so every man strap on his sword. And so verse 13 tells us they all strap on their sword. David does as well. 400 men go up with David. 200 remain behind with their things. And so Nabal and his household are about to be destroyed. You go, ooh, this is going to get bad. Thankfully, verse 14 tells us one of the young men told Abigail, that's Nabal's wife, about what has just transpired. Verse 14 says, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Uh, yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as they were with us. And they were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the while we were with them keeping the sheep. You notice the servant is telling Abigail, you don't understand 
Man, they helped us. We weren't harassed. We didn't lose anything. They were with us day and night. Anytime they were with us, things were great. We were protected. They were very useful to us. Verse 17, Now therefore know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. You know... What kind of a slug you have to be that a servant would have enough gall to tell the wife of the master he's worthless and nobody can talk to him? (laughs) You know, she could have said, excuse me, (laughs) you're done. But that's exactly the case. Everybody knows who Nabal is and knows what he's all about. And so the servant wisely comes to Abigail and says, we've got a problem. Harm is determined for him and for all of us if we don't do something fast. David is right to be upset and we have to recognize that he has helped us and is deserving of some of the proceeds uh, that, that were given here. And so we have then a little bit more information given to us in verse 18. Abigail makes hay. She's going to try to save the day. She gathers 200 loaves. Verse 18, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared and butchered. Uh, We have grain. We have clusters of raisins and figs. Gathers the donkeys. So she just kind of gathers everything she can inside. Start unloading the kitchen, basically. Get it all together. We're going to try to save the day. And so she gathers gathers some food, gathers these things together. And verse 19, she said to her young men, Go on before me, but but behold, I'll come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And so she says, Alright, go out there and go catch David. Kind of run some interference for me. I'll be right behind you with all these things. She doesn't tell Nabal what's going on with all this. And then in verse 20, she rode the donkey. She came down and under the cover of the mountains. Behold, David and his men came down toward her. She met, met them. Now David said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. We have David seething with vengeance here. Uh, Here is the statement. uh, uh, God do to me if I leave anybody alive. Uh, I'm going to wipe them completely out for the evil they've turned to me. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David... She hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so he is he. Nabal is his name and foolishness is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be his neighbor. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to your young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive a trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. 
And the lives of your enemies shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done, when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that has been spoken concerning you, and your appointed and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord taking vengeance on himself. And when the Lord has dealt with my Lord, then remember your servant. Abigail is uh, is pretty smart. <laughs> She runs out before David and says, So sorry. (laughs) Let his guilt be on me. I didn't get to meet your servant as he came. My husband's a moron. (laughs) And he doesn't know. And that's his name. And his life is full of that. And so please accept my apologies. And we know who you are. And notice the description of what what she does here. We know that the Lord is with you. Uh, I I like verse 29 when it talks about uh, the lives of your enemies. She shall sling out from the hollow of the sling. I don't think that's a reference to the stories of Goliath. I think absolutely a statement made by her. We know who you are. We know that you're successful. We know you're the king. We know that God is with you because of what's happened with Goliath. And so... We are sorry. And so please, take this gift and do not avenge him because you don't want that on your conscience. You don't want to have the bloodshed on your hands. And so what a great appeal uh, that Abigail then, then presents. And so I think she makes three threefold statements here of one, Nabal is a fool. Two, here's my gifts. And three, we know that God is with you. So I think some some interesting things that happens. Notice here in uh, verse 32, uh, David relents. Uh, David listens to Abigail. And there in verse 32, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you. You have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, Unless you had hurried to come to meet me truly by morning, there had, been not, had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought to him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Wow. And what a contrast the Scriptures are describing between the foolishness of Nabal and the righteousness and wisdom of Abigail. And what I want to do is just take this story and present, I think, three uh, really important lessons that we may not so obviously see uh, from this text. The first thing that I think is important to recognize is that selfishness is foolishness. And, And we don't want to be fools. In fact, you know, that's a... Uh, a term that's awfully slanderous that we would, you know, if somebody called, called you a fool, you'd be rather upset about that. But I want you to see that this foolishness derived greatly from Nabal's own selfishness about how he perceived the situation. Notice how Nabal responded uh, to David's servants that shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed with for my shears and give it to men who've come from I don't know. I mean, this is my stuff. We're told that Nabal's an extremely wealthy man. Extraordinarily wealthy. It's not like Nabal is hurting at all. The beginning of chapter 25 tells us about the riches that he has. He is very well off. 
And so here is the situation is that Nabal is just outright selfish. It's not that he didn't have anything to give. It's not like that he's sitting back and saying, oh, well, my shearers, they're not going to have anything if I give it to you. That's not the situation. No, it's just utter selfishness on his part. Do not these words remind you of that story about that rich fool who uh, had his barns and my, I'll build bigger barns with my things and how I've done so well. And it's the same type of language, this self-confidence and selfishness of, well, it's, it's by my own hand these things have happened. It's by my will and I've done all this for myself. And so why should I give any to you? And I, I just find it fascinating that we see this selfishness just pour out of Nabal. And isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that everybody knows that Nabal is a selfish fool except Nabal? Isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, when the sir, therefore, consider what you should do for harm's determined against you. He is such a worthless man that no one can even speak to him. You can't even reason with Nabal. He is such a fool. He's so selfish. You can't even go before him and try to make an appeal and say, you know, Nabal, I don't think that's a really good decision right now. I want you to think about that for me. You know, David and his men, they've been helping us this whole time. You know, don't you think you should give him something? You can't even reason with him. It's amazing to see the servants go to Abigail and say, you know how it is with him. You just can't even talk to the guy. You want to be one of those kind of people where everybody thinks you're a complete fool and you don't even see it yourself? Man, that's tough. And I think it's interesting even Abigail understands that. The writer of Proverbs said it well. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. That's that selfish, self-confident thought process of I know everything. You don't need to tell me anything. I'm doing just fine on my own. Well, great faults that Nabal is listed as he won't listen to anybody. We need to think about how, how we do with, with our interaction with other people. I mean, do we listen honestly? Uh, do, do we, are we willing to change when people talk to us? Or do we enter conversations with, I know what needs to be done, I know everything, you're not going to change my mind, I'll just let you talk uh, just to make you feel better, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that's clearly how Nabal was running his life. He's just going to do whatever he thinks is best. He's not going to listen to anybody. And that's just being a fool. And that is foolish living. It is clearly selfish living. And so I think it's very, we have to be very careful that we look at our actions and our decisions and realize that we can be very foolish in the things that we do and not even realize that everybody may be looking around us and saying, this guy is clearly a fool. And I don't think any of us want that uh, to be said about us, but many times that can be the case. The second thing that I find very interesting is, I think that's the great lesson we learned from Nabal. Here's what foolishness looks like. Don't be selfish because that is being a fool. Very easy to be selfish. The contrast goes to Abigail. And the things that Abigail does, I think, are very interesting. And I want us to consider all the things that she does. And I want us to think about submission is not going along with everything. I think it is interesting to recognize that 
when the servant tells Abigail, here's what's going on, you know, she doesn't defend Nabal and go, well, you know, this is just a big misunderstanding. You, you know, if you just if you just knew Nabal, you know, you, you'd understand how he is. Hey, she doesn't go, well, you know, Nabal's just kind of this temperamental fellow, you know, and, uh, well, she doesn't say, well, you know, Nabal's the man of the house, so I guess we're all going to die. I think it's interesting what Abigail does. She doesn't just simply go along and say, well, he said so, so we've got to do it, you know, just kind of sit down and go, that's the end of us. I find it very interesting that the scriptures are raising Abigail up and saying, look at the wisdom of this woman. Here she is married to an utter fool who is making horrible decisions, and this horrible decision is so bad that everybody in the house is going to die. And Abigail is the one who has the wisdom to say, we're going to have to do something about that. I'm not going to just simply go along with this. And I, I, where did this idea come from? Ladies, that you do whatever he says because he says so? Where is that? I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I I can't find that verse anywhere that says, whatever he says, that's what you have to do. And I want you to see Abigail doesn't do that. She doesn't sit back and go, well, you know, Nabal said that, so I married him, so tough for us. Not at all. Not at all. Recognize our primary submission is to God. And I think that is so important to remember, often something that we forget. Submissiveness is about having a quiet spirit. That's how it's described repeatedly throughout the New Testament. Abigail's motives here are not rebellious. She's not being high-handed against against uh, Nabal and, and uh, you know, just, oh, boy, you just, you're not doing any of that. She's still being very submissive here, but she's being wise. And she understands that her primary submission is to God and she's not going to violate God's commands. doesn't matter what man might say. And friends, you, you and I have not been asked to go along with sinful activity under the guise of submissiveness. And I have seen that a number of times. It is shocking to me how often that happens. Well, my husband doesn't want me to go to church. Too bad! Oh, my husband doesn't want me to do what's right. Too bad! That's not being insubmissive. Your submission is to God first. And how often that happens. And so often we forget where our primary responsibility lies. And we could go on and on about those things. Well, my husband doesn't want me to help my neighbors. You know what? God commanded you to. <laughs> so who's got the greater authority? Oh, my husband's not very doesn't want to be hospitable. Well, you were commanded to. My husband doesn't want me to serve the congregation and help out others. Well, you were commanded to. Men and women alike, we are commanded directly by God. And it doesn't matter if our spouse or our children or our parents tell us otherwise. We have to submit to God first and foremost. And that's what you see Abigail doing. Foolish decisions and foolish rules do not supersede God's commands and what should be done in a situation. I think it would have been right for Abigail to go, well, you know, uh, I'll just sit back and I go up to David and say, uh, I disagreed, but, you know, go get them all. <laughs> no, that's no good. That's no, not good at all. 
And it seems clear from the text that God did not want this situation to unfold with all of Nabal's household being destroyed. Similarly, I think we need to recognize submission does not mean about violating our conscience. And I think that's something that's clear from this text as well. Recognize that the husband is the head of the household. But when is the last time your head told your hand to do something that your hand did not feel very good about doing? Uh, I can't remember the last time my, my brain, my head, told my hand, stick your hand in a garbage disposal, see what happens. No, that's not, that's not how it works. The head is supposed to be concerned about the members of the body, overly concerned. That's why it's our brain that, and our head that says, you know, turn on the light, you know, don't, don't walk around here thinking you know everything, and, you know, make sure the switch is up where you stick your hand in the garbage disposal and things like that. Is because the head is supposed to be concerned about the rest of the members of the body. The head does not go throwing our members of our body into harm's way and causing our body to have problems or to have injury or harm. I think it's important to recognize is that there are things that we might feel uncomfortable doing. So it violates our conscience. No, I can't go to so-and-so passage and say, uh, here's where it's a violation of God's law, but I have a conscious obligation. There's something that bothers me about that. And in a marriage, we ought to respect that. Certainly need to respect that. We've all been trained with a variety of different values and beliefs, and we might try to rational with you, be rational with each other and say, you know, I think it should be seen this way or on this issue and have that discussion. But I want us to recognize that we are not going to throw each other uh, into harm's way and violate the conscience. I'm not going to do something that's going to violate the conscience of my wife. I'm not going to ask her to do something like that, even though I might be disagreeable and say, I think it's fine. And she should not ask me to do the same either. So we have submission to God. And it's not submission is not just doing whatever somebody says. And we're not going to violate our conscience. And similarly, I think it's important to recognize... That submission does not mean we do not see our husbands and spouses for who they really are. I, I just, I'm so shocked and kind of stunned, and that's what this lesson really grabbed me, the way Abigail talked to David. Abigail did not say, you know, well, you know, he's just one of those guys. No, Abigail said he's a fool. His name means fool. He's been a fool all his life. And I'm trying to save him from his foolish decisions right here. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. She does not try to cover it all over and say, well, you know, uh, you know how it is. I'm the wife. Got to go along with all this. And I, it's just foolishness to think that that would be what's required of a woman in terms of submission. Abigail says that Nabal is a worthless fellow in verse 25. And David needed to understand that. And I believe uh, Nabal probably knew that from what Abigail had been doing and dealing with him. And so often I've seen that happen on grand scales and small scales. I've seen that in, in local congregations where you will have uh, a, a, a man causing division and causing great problems in, in, in a congregation and sweeping power to himself. And, and the wife just kind of goes along with it. What am I supposed to do? Tell him he's a fool. <laughs> Tell him he's wrong. If I'm going to hell, should my wife just watch me do it under the name of submission? Are you kidding? That's not submission. 
That's not what's described in the, in the scriptures at all. And so submission doesn't mean we ignore what the person is. It drove me crazy. Situation in Arkansas, family there. And this guy just came unglued because he didn't become an elder and tried to rip the church apart. Just went bonkers. And the wife just, the wonderful, adoring wife. You must be kidding. See him for what he is. He was a sinner, he was a liar, and you don't go along with that kind of stuff. That's unacceptable behavior. But while saying all that, and I want to make those points really strong, submission is not doing something because he says so. That's not found in the scripture. Submission is primarily first devoted to God. And you must submit to God above all else. And submission doesn't mean you don't understand who your husband is or who your spouse is and understand that circumstance. I want you to realize that Abigail did not look at this as an opportunity to say, let's get rid of Nabal and get rid of this house. I find it interesting that Abigail was still his helper. And that's what I want you to see in the story. This is where her submission came in, is that she was a helper to him. Little does he know how much she's doing to save his bacon. (laughs) He doesn't even have a clue. In fact, if you notice later in the story, when Abigail explains all that happens, he has nearly there a heart attack of sorts and dies under the information that is given to him. And I find it very important for us to see that... Abigail saw the need to be a helper. And the way she could help was recognizing he was a fool. He's a fool, and so what I'm going to do is try to help. I'm going to try to save the situation. She does not sit back and say, well, this is what a fool gets. And wives, you're not supposed to allow your husbands to make disastrous decisions. You can go and say, you know, this is not a good decision. You can try to help us out. How many times we need that? How many times wives probably need us to intervene and say, you know, this isn't a a, a good course path, a good path of life. We're supposed to be working together, and we're supposed to be helping one another. And Abigail is putting Nabal's interests above all else there. I want you to see that submission there. She's putting his interests first. She's saving his life. She's saving the household by taking proper action here. And so they're just allowing it all to fall apart. And so I think it's important to recognize the value of a wise woman. Men, we need to appreciate the value of having a wise woman, somebody to listen to. I assume we all didn't marry our wives because they were good looking. I mean, we, 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 we married them because they were sharp, because they helped us. They made us better people. And so why would we not want to take in their opinion, listen to their counsel, and and have them as helpers to us as the Scripture pictures? In the same way, uh, women, you you want to be the wise woman. It's Proverbs 31 so so well pictures. We want to be that kind of person who can make wise decisions and, and be useful not only to our husbands, but also in the sight of God. And so... Uh, remember Nabal. Nabal was foolish because he thought he knew all he needed to know. He didn't need any other opinions. He didn't need anybody telling him what's right. And I think 
we need to recognize on both ends, with men and women, women are not to be a yes man, but a helper suitable as God created them. That's why the proverb writer could say, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. There's a value there. There's something that they're contributing to the relationship. They're useful in so many ways. And God has made a marriage to be complementary. And we need to work together and see that relationship work properly. By the way, it's not also the contrast that while Nabal would not listen, that David would. (laughs) When Abigail comes running out to him, I have no other way to say it, but I believe David is pretty much in a fit of rage. <laughs> and really, kind of, that's the way I see what David is doing here. He is just incensed that Nabal has responded this way after David and his, and his workers, his soldiers, have been so good to him. And for, for Nabal to respond this way is just grab her swords, we're going to kill them all. And he's willing to listen. She comes and says, you know what, that's not a good choice. That's not a good path. And David's response makes that very clear when there in verse 32, when he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. You have saved me from a horrible choice. And David appreciates that. He appreciates the wisdom so much that when Nabal dies, uh, David marries Abigail. Uh, She is a wise woman and somebody that he greatly respected in what she was able to say. And certainly the Proverbs certainly make that picture known again. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. I hope you'll think about this this scene and this story when we think about our relationships in marriage. Because husbands, wives, and any relationship, even in friendships, we we will make bad decisions. We will make selfish decisions. We will be foolish. can't even begin to number how many times my wife has saved me from foolishness <laughs> going down the wrong road. But that, that's, that's her being a helper to me. That's not her being insubordinate to me. That's telling me the way I need to see it. And we need to see that that's the, the joy of a marriage and how joyful that was for Abigail to be able to help out Nabal, a man who was completely worthless by all accounts. And yet she still stood beside him and still worked with him and still was making proper decisions to help that relationship out and to help out the family. And so I hope you'll think about your relationship. I hope we will consider ourselves and marriage relationships and our friendship relationships that we will not be selfish. We will think about other people first. Because ultimately, that's where so much of that problem comes from, is that regardless of what other people think or say, I'm going to do what I want to do. And that destroys relationships. That destroys marriages, that destroys friendships, destroys any kind of relationship you find yourself in. And that's the foolishness of Nabal, but the wisdom of Abigail. You pull your songbooks out, we're going to sing an invitation song to you this morning. And we invite you to come to the Lord. We invite you to serve Jesus with all of your heart. That you will turn away from your sins. And that you will believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confess Him as the Lord of your life. Change your life to serve Him. And submit to Him and follow Him. And then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you please respond to this call while we stand and while we sing.